glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Over the tackle of the corner. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Roundtable Podcast brought to you by the Pulse Podcasting Network. It's Matt back at it today on Thursday, January 24th for today's podcast. Dennis will be joining me here in just a minute and we'll be getting his opinions on the championship games we saw this past weekend with the AFC and NFC, going over what he thought of and kind of some of the storylines, his breakdown uh, and his opinions on the games after that. We will be talking about uh, our running backs uh, that we had ranked, uh, or the way we had them ranked back in 2018, kind of what we saw, what we would do differently. Uh, Obviously, we had a couple of agreements on a couple of disagreements on a couple of the players that we will uh, talk about as well. Then we will jump into our rankings for the 2019 running back class. Again, pretty early, uh, but we'll uh, we'll address that as the podcast goes. And then last but not least, we will talk about uh, if we have any players to watch at the Senior Bowl on the game this weekend uh this saturday the senior bowl any players that we really like in that game to watch for so without further ado let's go ahead and get dennis on here to talk and we've got dennis uh, back with us again here on thursday thrilled to have you back on Uh, again sorry about not being able to get you on monday uh i had obviously some family stuff going on like i talked about but i'm glad to get you here with us today and i want to talk about the the championship games i gave my breakdowns of everything on uh, tuesday's podcast i want to get uh, your thoughts overall on the rams saints game and then let's talk a couple of the storylines in that game I had the Saints. Uh, that's who I put my money on. I was really kind of disappointed to see the way that it ended. Right. But I thought uh, when the Saints kicked field goals on both of those first two possessions, it kind of was a harbinger for things to come. Their defense was, or I mean, their offense really didn't move the ball uh, as effectively as I think they needed to. The Rams have shown that they can score points, and when you're going down and kicking field goals, uh, it's not going to take the Rams long to hit a, hit a couple plays and get themselves back into it. You know, that's kind of how it played out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, that's uh, one of the things I touched on on Tuesday's podcast was I felt uh, had they gone down and scored a touchdown on that first possession and then when they got that pick of Todd Gurley, had they gotten a touchdown on there, I think that really kind of would have put the game away for the most part for the Saints. Uh, but the fact that the Rams' defense was able to limit it to two field goals really kind of kept them in the game. So what were your thoughts on Todd Gurley, uh, for the most part, being benched in this game? I know there's a lot of talks that he's still injured, still dealing with that knee injury. I do think that uh, this could raise a lot of questions about Todd Gurley's stock moving forward, not just in the playoffs, but in 2019 for redrafts and uh, for dynasty leagues. I definitely think that whatever's wrong, unless we have a repeat performance in the Super Bowl, I would expect him to be fully healthy and ready to go. But I also feel like Sean McVay has kind of a next man up mentality and he lets the team know we're going to be out there fighting together. And if you can't perform the way you you need to, the the way you're capable of, then we're going to have to do something else. Not forever, but maybe just for this game. So if he, you know, he, he was right, he played was playing poorly, and mm. if that was the case, probably 
it was probably quite a gutsy move to put him on the bench and just say, you know what, you can say what you want, but I'm going to play CJ because he's playing better. But I kind of suspect that his injuries are lingering a bit more than uh, we really know. Yeah. And that's, you know, I don't have any inside information. I just feel like that you, you don't sit Todd Gurley down uh, because he's had a few bad carries. It's, it's not like he, you know, went 15 for 27 yards. Hmm. And then they were like, okay, we're going to sit him down. He had, what did he have? Four carries? So. Yeah, it was like I feel like it's still the injury myself. Yeah, I think it was like four carries for 19 yards. I'm with you for the most part. I do think uh, he's he's had obviously a couple bad performances now, but we got to remember he had over 100 yards against that Dallas defense, and a lot of people, including myself, were touting that Dallas defense and how well they had done against the run. Um, and I don't think we can overlook, even though the the Saints lost Sheldon Rankins obviously with the Achilles uh, last week that uh, they were the number one run defense in the league the past year. So, again, I think it was since uh, week 11 of last season, they had not allowed a 100-yard rusher. So, yeah, I know C.J. Anderson looked decent against them, and C.J. Anderson has been very good since coming off the couch for them. I just think that uh, it's got to be that injury. At least I would hope, especially if you're a curly owner, you've really got to be hoping that it's just the injury. Um, You know, a lot of people talking about how he just seems to struggle coming up in big games and everything, and I I wouldn't say that. Uh, I think that he's going to be all right, but I think he does, at least in my opinion, needs to have at least a decent game in the Super Bowl, or there's going to be a lot of questions, um, at least on my side, going into the offseason into 2019 and what Todd Gurley could be if he's really going to remain that best back in the NFL. Well, it's not like Anderson tore it up in this game. He went 16 for 44, so he was only averaging 2.8 yards per pop. Right. So, I mean, compared to Gurley's 2.5, it's not like it was a whole lot better. Well, I mean, that, that so, point one, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. I don't know what you're talking about, man. I mean, if you're watching those, if you're looking at those box scores, man, that, that point one, that, that makes C.J. Anderson an elite running back, at least for some people. For, for his body type i guess yeah yeah he you know like i've talked about i think he's he's about to be three bills i mean i I don't just good on him because i don't think if i looked that big i could run nearly as fast or as well as he did uh so i you know hey i've got nothing but props for cj anderson what he's been able to do coming off the couch that's right what uh what did you think about uh Indominus Sue just destroying Andrews Pete uh this entire game? I mean it wasn't even just an and Indom- got oh my goodness, I'm losing this guy's name right here. Indominus Sue for some reason I could not say that. Um obviously he was having a great game so was Aaron Donald. I mean what did you think about these guys just completely as as we you talked about stealing his lunch money the entire game how they were not able to figure something out to slow these two down. Well, I I think Sue kind of showed a glimpse of what he used to be. Mm -hmm. He had a plus matchup, and he took advantage of it, and he was able to really overpower Pete for pretty much the whole game. And and he spent his game kind of – I I don't want to say he was rattling Breeze because I don't think Breeze gets rattled. Right. But he was definitely making him uncomfortable in the pocket, him and Donald both. And then uh, they were able to apply a little bit of pressure from the edge as well. So they they definitely uh, it impacted the rush game. I mean, they ran what seventeen times with Kamara and Ingram. Yeah. But they did you know three point four yards for Ingram and one point nine for Kamara. So it it was definitely a passing game. Uh, both quarterbacks threw the ball forty times. Uh, you know, Mike Thomas was kind of disappointing, but. 
Uh, I'm not sure how many targets he had, but he did have four uh, four receptions. Mm-hmm. Kamara did his thing catching the ball, so he was uh, doing what he does. But it was uh, definitely, I think, uh, when you have Sue applying pressure up the middle like that, Breeze is inclined to get rid of the ball. And uh, with when it's that quick, the, the running back definitely benefits. Yeah, I mean, uh, and this is something, again, I, I talked about on Monday, just how how much they were in the backfield. I, I agree with you. I don't think that Breeze ever gets rattled, um, but he was definitely trying to get the ball out quicker uh, than usual just due to the fact that they kept getting back there. Almost, it seemed, from as soon as he said hut, you had Donald or Sue in the backfield causing causing problems, blowing up plays, and it was causing Breeze to try and get the ball out a lot quicker. Uh, just to touch on Michael Thomas, he only had seven targets in the game, so he caught four of them for 36 yards. Um, like uh, The best receiver, and he wasn't even obviously a receiver, was Alvin Kamara, who, who got the 11 receptions on 13 targets for 96 yards. But I think that whole uh, offense in general was very disappointing. Um, you know, We talked about, obviously, the Thursday uh, prior that we thought Ted Ginn would have to step up his game a little bit to help out Michael Thomas. I mean, he did uh, get more yards than Michael Thomas, but I thought all in all, really a lot of that coming on the 43-yard play, he only got 58 yards altogether, so just 12 yards on his other two catches. Um, just I think all in all that whole offense was disappointing and I think a lot of that did have to do with how good that defensive line was playing I would agree I think that you know the the defensive line applying pressure and then with strong cornerbacks and defensive backs there they were able to play the game that they wanted they didn't get uh, the Rams didn't get rattled Uh, when they got behind 13 to nothing they kept playing the game that uh, they wanted to play and it paid off for them yes it did so the the storyline that everybody's talking about, and I, I gave my opinion on it obviously on Tuesday, but I want to hear what you have to t- uh, say about the PI that never was. What PI? Okay, well, all right, that's good. So who was your? Uh... <laughs> it was it was it was probably the most egregious call I think I've ever seen. You know, I, I realize that uh, uh, Chiefs fans want to talk about uh, the face mask that never was or the. The roughing the passer that never was, yeah. but that wasn't. I don't think nearly as bad as this pass interference call, and uh, it was. I, I don't know how that could be missed. It was that egregious. So, you know, I there's. I don't know what to say. Right. I think you need to. Does there need to be a knee jerk reaction and change the officiating? Yeah. You know, I I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's something they definitely have to consider and how to make the game better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when you have plays like that, it starts to kind of turn into a, a WWE sort of spectacle, and I, I don't think that's where the NFL wants to go. Especially now that gambling's getting legal everywhere, uh, I definitely don't think they uh, they need to have that kind of reputation as uh, oh, it was fixed or there's a reason. You know, just. There's there's so many storylines going around about it now that it's 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 not even fair or funny. It just it was a bad call. It was missed. It shouldn't have been missed, but it was. And so, yeah. you know, I lost money on it. I'm not necessarily a Rams <laughs> fan or a Saints fan, uh-huh. but I lost money. So yeah, I mean, just to... my money where my mouth was and had to eat it, I guess. Just to just to reiterate my point, in case you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I, I agree with you on all that. I mean, I. I know um, just from st- different stuff I had heard and, and read about after all that happened, obviously, was uh, there's been a lot of talk in the past about them allowing 
coaches to challenge those certain plays like that to help overturn them um, if it was in their favor. Apparently, Bill Belichick has been high on that for a couple of years now. I think Sean Payton is probably going to be very high on that. He is one of the leaders of the competition committee. Um, but I, I'm with you on the fact that it was by far one of the worst calls that I've ever seen. I cannot believe that they didn't call it. Like I said, I mean, he was there obviously very early. He even admitted it after the game that he was just trying to draw the foul to keep him from scoring a touchdown. Yet the Saints still had multiple opportunities to end and win that game, and that's kind of where I stand on it. I mean, if I understand it was a horrible call and likely cost you the game because you would have had a very a much higher chance of winning that game had they give you the ball. It's I think it was first on it would have been first down on on the five yard line or something like that. They wouldn't have been able to run down as much clock as possible and then at worst kick a field goal and then the Rams would have to drive the entire field with no timeouts and do it. Not that they couldn't because we saw in overtime Greg the leg kicked that 57 yard field goal that I think would have been good from about 60 or 70 yards. So obviously his range is much deeper than most kickers. They might have been able to do it. We don't know, but I do think that had, you know, you can complain all you want about that call, but you had a chance to stop them right there. You could have stopped uh, them from getting in his range to kick a 47 yard field goal. And then I know that Obviously, Breeze didn't mean to throw that interception, but he tries to throw the ball when he's getting hit. It gets picked off. I mean, you had multiple chances to close that game out still, and yet you couldn't do it. Yep. Who? Uh, do you suppose Zerline could kick the ball as far as far if his name was like Jeff Zerline instead of Greg the Leg? No, no. I think if it was Jeff Zerline, he's probably kicking a 15-yard field goal at best, and he's probably shanking that. Right. I think. Yeah, you know, I think you have to be named Greg the Leg to be able to kick that to kick uh, field goals like that. I agree. <laughs> who uh, who were some of your over and under performers in this game, the Saints Rams? Well, you know, I think that it's it's almost hard or, or to call somebody an underperformer. Uh-huh. You know, it's the biggest game of a lot of guys' seasons. It's the the game to get to the Super Bowl, and so people are stepping up, and it's it's not like you know. Northwestern versus Ohio State most years. That's a big game for Northwestern now. Ohio State. <laughs> so it, it's uh, yeah. I think the defensive line for the Rams did what we thought they would. Yeah. And they they performed at a really really high level. Uh, I think that uh, Jared Goff probably overperformed. He threw for 297 yards, and while he you know he wasn't racking up a ton of touchdowns, uh, he did. Uh, keep the game the game close, keep the team in the game, allowed the defense to make plays. Uh, Gurley definitely was an underperformer. Yeah. And C.J. Anderson for that fact as well. You know, he was uh, with Gurley out. Anderson was racking up 140, 150 yards, and he ended up uh, with, I don't know, 2.8 yards per carry or something. So it was uh, – it, it, it was a hard-fought game, and it had – you know, it, it was one of those games that it's too bad somebody had to lose. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I think um, just on the one guy I want to touch on is Jared Goff. I think he, uh, for me, he proved a lot in that game. Uh, Just the way that how horrible that offense looked in the first half. I think a lot of that obviously coming from the fact that uh, the Saints uh, clearly have a very good home field advantage when it comes to their crowd and how loud they can get and the way that that defense was playing. uh, Obviously not his fault in my opinion. Obviously that pick that that tips off Gurley's hands uh, but he did struggle early on there and then to bounce back and keep himself in that game, keep them in the game as well and start scoring um, and helping that defense out that was limiting the Saints. I thought that was a big game for Jared Goff and I was uh, I honestly was uh, pretty impressed with what he did in that one 
Moving on to the Pats and the Chiefs. So, I mean, I guess the big question here with the Pats and Chiefs, uh, well, let's get your overall thoughts on the game first, and then I want to talk about Captain Clutch, Julian Edelman, and and Tom Teflon Tommy doing it again coming up in the big moment like he's done his entire career. Now, that was uh, another game that had a potential for changing of the guards, mm-hmm. and it was a uh, an exciting game. Uh I enjoyed watching Sony Michelle step up and have a solid game. Uh, Gronk is turning into the best blocking tight end in the NFL. Yeah, he is. No, but Belichick put together a great game plan, and he had the defense doing what they needed to do to win the game. Mm. It was uh, a situation where they, see, what did they get for sack? I think they had like two or three, five sacks, four sacks in the game. Yeah. So... You know, it might not. It, it might. They might not have spent a lot of time uh, getting in uh, uh, Mahomes' face. But they got back there enough, and they put some heat on him, and they made things difficult. They made him have to move. And even if you're good at it, it does make things a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he he was barely over fifty percent in pass completions. But the 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 game plan for New England was to eat the clock. And yeah. the time of possession was such a drastic, uh, I forget the last I saw, I feel like it was like 37 minutes of time of possession for the uh, Patriots. And uh, so it, you know, when you don't have the ball, when, when the Patriots are running twice as many plays, then you have to be so crazily efficient with your opportunities. And to score 31 points, I'd say they were, but they just didn't have the ball enough to win this game, the Chiefs said is. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I was looking at the, the sacks there. They did get four on him. Um, I, I agree with you 100%, and it goes back to what we talked about Thursday. We thought that's exactly how one of these teams would have to win is, is grind the ball on the ground and keep the other offense off the field as much as possible. Um, and in all honesty, um, I agree with you. It was definitely uh, could have been a changing of the guard game with Patrick Mahomes, and uh, I can't as bad as he looked in the first half of that game. And I talked about it on Tuesday. I thought it reminded me a lot of the game that they played in Week Nine because he did the same thing. They struggled on offense. I think they only put up three field goals in the first half compared to uh, getting shut out, obviously in the championship game. Uh, but then they came back out and they were awesome. Patrick Mahomes, as I talked about on Tuesday, thirty-one points on thirty. Plays that's ridiculous. It shows how good he can be in this offense. You know, I don't know if it was nerves or whatever was causing him to kind of overthrow balls. I think a lot of it did have to go with what you mentioned in the New England uh, Patriots defensive line getting to him. Um, the pressures that they were putting on him was just amazing, and it goes to you know talking to what you were just talking about with Bill Belichick being his game planning. He's he's one of the best. That's what he's known for. Um, he everybody thought that he was going to take the best weapons out of the game. He did. Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey were non-factors. I mean, the only ones that mattered were Damian Williams and uh, and uh, Patrick Mahomes. There was nobody else on that team that did any for anything for them really offensively. Um, and I, I like I said, I love the pressure that they were putting on Mahomes there. I think they showed a way that Mahomes could be beat, which would be interesting to see. I think next year if other teams are able to pick up on that game plan uh, and do anything with it as well since so many people struggled to slow them down throughout the year except for uh, these really good teams for instance like the Patriots 
So as I mentioned right before that, though, what are your thoughts on a uh, on Captain Clutch, Julian Edelman, who it just seemed like every time there was a third and 10, third and 15, Tom Brady found him for whatever he needed, third and 12 yards, 16 yards, just enough to get that first down. How you don't cover him in the fourth quarter in overtime, I have no idea because you know that, that that's who he's going to. It's going to be him or Gronk. Um, why you don't cover him, I have no idea. And then obviously your thoughts on Teflon Tommy, the GOAT, doing it again again in the fourth quarter taking the team down scoring and then getting the ball in overtime and much like all the Patriots players were saying uh, when they found out they won the toss I said the same thing when I found out the Patriots were getting the ball first I said it was over I, I knew it was over right then and there I didn't need to even watch it I did watch it but I didn't need to because I knew exactly what Tom Brady was going to do well Edelman has just been so consistent over his career and you know for Brady Edelman's he's he's like a, a blankie you know, <laughs> when when he gets da- when when things get kind of dangerous, he knows that he can count on Edelman to get open within a certain amount of time. So if he needs to get the ball out in two seconds or a second and a half, he knows Edelman's gonna get, find an open spot within five yards and you know get five to ten yards. Well, he was having he had more time and Edelman was able to work his way down get open 10, 12, 15 yards down the field consistently, uh, in part because he's an excellent route runner. I, I agree. When you're able to do that, you know, he, he's not going to outrun people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's quick. He's not necessarily uh, as fast uh, as some of the guys. But he opened, He helps open up that middle. That's why Dorsett was able to get behind on that one, behind the team on the, uh, on the touchdown. On that touchdown. Yeah. Uh, at, that helped Edelman and Gronk underneath. That kind of helps that up. But the big thing was uh, when you have Sony Michelle carrying it 29 times, that defense has to start focusing on that. And when they start focusing on that, that pulls those linebackers a, another yard or two closer to the line, and that gives a little more space behind them in that 8 to 12-yard range. Mm-hmm. And Edelman's able to work that and get where he needs to go. It, it was a a, a great plan that they executed nearly perfectly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I said, I don't. Um, it was it was just amazing to me to see him do just do that. Um, I was really surprised that they didn't put the their corner. The Chiefs didn't put cornerback. Uh, Ken, I think it's Kendall Fuller on him more often. I do think, although they were having to force him to play on Gronk because Gronk actually showed up and had a pretty good game there, which uh, was pretty surprising to me. I think the way Gronk looked in the first half, he got those first couple catches, uh, looked like he was going to be involved a lot, then didn't really do much again until the fourth quarter, but then he made those huge plays in the fourth quarter, and then the big one on the third, I think it was like a third and ten, and he catches the ball and then runs for, I think it was a total of a 16-yard gain uh, right there to get past half field in the overtime to get them even closer to the end zone um would have loved to see if they could have put Kendall Kendall Fuller more on Julian Edelman in the slot if he'd have been able to slow down Edelman but they had to keep splitting him out and putting him on Gronk um, which I thought was going to be a great matchup um speaking of uh Edelman what did you think about the uh, the muffed punt because I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest um just from all the reviews that they were showing on TV and everything, I didn't think he touched it. Um, but I also don't think there was enough evidence to overturn it. And they did sit call on the field 
that he touched it and it should have been the Chiefs ball. Um, it looked like it might have hit his thumb on one of those replays, but you couldn't tell for sure. And I thought, at least I thought the rule was you had to have uh, re- irrefutable evidence to o- overturn it. I personally did not see it. Uh, so I think the Chiefs should have catch, caught, kept the ball, but I didn't have an issue with them overturning it necessarily. What did you think on that punt? Well, I don't think he touched it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, I feel like they have, their review system will allow them to see uh, multiple views in sync. Oh, really? So we're seeing on TV, you know, from the side where it doesn't look like it's hitting, or it looks like maybe it is, they're able to see from both sides or from the side in the front, uh, I believe, the multiple view in real time uh, uh-huh. synced up together. So it kind of makes it, uh, it gives them a little bit of an edge there, I believe. I could be wrong, but I feel like I, that's something that I, I heard. And if that's the case, you know, you, you can see from the view, there, there's definitely times where the ball, it looks like it's in front of the hand or in front of the arm. Uh-huh. And from the angle, you can't tell if it's on the arm because you can't see the any gap behind it. But then you go to the side view and you can see that there's space there. But because there wasn't any, um, it, it wasn't, a, we, we couldn't see that multiple view yeah. on TV. You know, we were forced to kind of take their word for it. Again, when I look at it, I I feel pretty confidently he didn't touch it. But if they had not reversed it, I, I would have been perfectly fine thinking going along the lines of well there's not irrefutable evidence um but it it looked i I felt pretty confident Uh, as as much as uh i wanted the chiefs to win because that's where i had my money uh you know it is what it is yeah, well, and, and the one thing I'll say on that, too, is Julian Edelman was right from the start. You could tell very adamant that he didn't touch the ball. Um, usually you'll see players kind of wait a second, and then they'll be kind of, oh, no, no, I didn't touch it. I mean, he was full on pissed off. I mean, he always looks like he's about to beat somebody's ass, to be honest with you. He, he's a scary-looking individual, in my opinion, when he's playing the game. Um, I also love, real quick, I just want to jump off topic real quick and ask you this. Did you see that uh, the video of him talking to Tom Brady, I think, I want to say it was in the third quarter, I can't remember, I saw it on Twitter yesterday, um, where he walked up to Tom Brady, um, was it the third quarter, it would have been when the Chiefs took the lead, and he walked over to Tom Brady, and he said, you know why we're losing, because you're too fucking old, and then walked off to kind of pump him up, get him going again, I think I thought that was just awesome, I don't know if you saw that, I was watching it on Twitter the other day, uh, but to me, I thought that was awesome, just their relationship in general, knowing what he knows what to do to fire his quarterback up, I think is awesome. Well, I saw the video, but I gotta be honest, I never clicked on it or turned up the volume, I saw it. Edelman walk up and say something looking kind of heated yeah and uh walk off and I was like ah, I don't need to that's not that's not that's not something I I need to dive into I didn't want to I don't need to get into those you know they as a team the people who've been around that team a long time mm-hmm. they know each other so well and how to motivate each other right and so it does does it surprise me that he would say something like that it doesn't um does it surprise me that you know, Philip Dorsett wouldn't say something like that? Doesn't surprise me a bit. You know, membership has its privileges. Yeah, I think I think if Dorsett were to do it, he'd get in here full from Brady. I don't think Brady would be taking any crap from him. I could be wrong. They did trade for Dorsett. Dorsett, uh, you know, I know he's been there for I don't even know how long he's been there now, but uh, I would imagine I would imagine 
there's very few players on that team that could walk up to Brady and say that to him and Brady give get the reaction. I mean, he didn't even react to it. He just kind of looked at him. But I think for him to kind of give the reaction that he did, Edelman is definitely one of those guys, though. Um, so you did touch on it just a little bit ago, but I want to see if you want, want to add anything else to how good Sony Michelle looked. And I'll, I'm going to start real quick by just saying that I thought I thought he was awesome yet again. And it's crazy to think that this was, here was a guy who nobody knew what he was going to be when he came to the Patriots. I know a lot of people, I don't remember if you were on there. And um, we'll, we're going to talk about our 2017 running back list here in just a minute. I had him ranked very high because I, I was very much of the opinion. Now I think, I think you were too because I remember talking about it. Uh, that we both thought he was going to be good because the Patriots rarely draft running backs in the first round. And the fact that they took him... Um, I thought they were going to make him the guy. Then he starts off with that injury at the beginning of the year. Nobody knows what he's going to do. And then he ends up turning it around, looking good during the year, gets hurt again. All the issues going on with that running backfield with him, Burkhead White, all the mixing around. White looking so good as well. And then we get to the playoffs where it really matters the most. And Sony Michelle has looked like a legitimate RB1 in my opinion. And he showed it again in this game. What are your thoughts on Sony? I like – I'm a huge fan of Sony Michelle. I'm confused, though, because he was the passing back at Georgia. Yeah. And he has seven receptions this year. Now, I get that they've got James White, and James White is probably the top third down back in the NFL. But there's a certain point where when you have a, a person with three down skills, the reason for ke- that teams desire them is that it gives you – uh, flexibility without having to change your personnel uh-huh. and Michelle for all intents and purposes brings that ability to the team but they just they just don't use it and so you can look I think I, I saw a stat on Twitter the other day and I think there was something like when Michelle is on the field 74% of the time they run the ball and when White is on the field 71% of the time they pass and so if that's the case, then you have to be so much better at what you do because your personnel grouping is a tell. It, they know, well, Michelle's there, it's most likely a run, we can cheat this way. Right. If White is there, it's most likely a pass, we can cheat this way on the defense. So I, I think he had a fantastic year. I think uh, I think the Patriots probably, you know, they recognize his skill and ability. And maybe that maybe they're limiting his touches. This this is one of the ways to limit his touches. And maybe they understand the knee and what shape it's in that they're that they're going to get three or four years, and that's it. Uh-huh. And they're already they're already thinking about you know 2022's rookie class and what running back they're going to be drafting because <laughs> Michelle is going to be playing uh, at at most uh, the Rex Burkhead role, but probably the Jeremy Hill role and that's if he takes a substantial pay cut. Yeah, I was um I was actually just thinking about that earlier today and just how much of a if you look back at Georgia Nick Chubb was clearly the the early down grinder. Uh, you have him come in, just bulldoze over people, and then Sony Michelle was their all around back. And then this year, you saw it more out of Nick Chubb with Cleveland getting all these catches and everything, especially overtaking you know Duke Johnson, who's known for that as well. 
overtaking that spot, catching all these balls, and you barely saw it out of Sony Michelle. I think a lot of it was obviously the James White factor. He is just so explosive when he gets the ball, especially in the receiving game. Um, and I do think part of it, too, was the knee injury. I think that was probably bigger than what we were all led to believe. I mean, he did sit for, I think it was like four straight games. He sat and did nothing. Um, I think a lot of that played into it as well for Sony Michelle and why he didn't get on the field that much. And I think they just kind of got stuck in their roles, so to say, um, as the running back or the, just their main running back and then White as the receiving back that they didn't really mix it up. And in all honesty, like you just touched on, they were just so good in those aspects of their games that there was no point, no matter if the defense knew what was coming or not, there was no point in switching it up because they were just winning their matchups anyways, even if the defense knew what was coming for them. Yeah, I mean, if they can't stop you, why try to – you don't need to get cute if they're not stopping what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so before we get into our uh, our prospect stuff, I want to wanna jump into some trades here really quick. I'm going to make them an offer again kind of with you. Deal or no deal? No deal. No deal. I'm a businessman. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. All right, guys, so it's time to talk about some trades. Whether uh, if you've got someone that you're looking to acquire or someone you're looking to deal and you have questions, you're not quite sure if you want to move them or not or get, or get this player, you can always reach out to me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. You can at me. You can send them to me in my DMs. I'd be happy to respond to you as well as Dennis Wood at Culture underscore Coach. However, we're not always available, right? You know, sometimes we do actually have to sleep and spend time with our families, uh, so we're not always available on Twitter to answer your guys' questions. If we're not there and you guys need an answer right away, the best solution is going to DynastyTradeCalculator.com. They're the number one uh, Dynasty football resource. Uh, you can use them for all your trade questions. They have an awesome little calculator and value system. You put your players in their picks, and it, and it gives you a score on which side they think is the best uh, best for the trade. They do awesome there. 99% you will be happy with the results they give you, and I only say 99% because nobody's perfect. There's going to be probably one trade eventually that they get wrong, but I haven't seen it yet, but we still got to go with 99% because you never want to guarantee 100% satisfaction, right? You can always get better. So, with all that being said, again, check out Dynasty Trade Calculator if you guys have questions that we can't get to or if you just want to see that you think you're right and we're wrong because we've been wrong before. Dynasty Trade Calculator won't steer you wrong. Let's talk about those trades. All right, so we got two trades uh, that we really want to go over here. Um, one from uh, at Chris Miles uh, ten seventeen, who was actually one of the contest winners uh, again. Someone we're actually both in a league with, so it was kind of cool to to see him win. Uh, so his trade was he got Josh Rosen. Rashard Penny, Cortland Sutton, a 2019 first, which was 1.8, and a 2019 second, which was picked 2.2, and he gave up Traquan Smith, I'm sorry, Traquan, Trey Quinn, the wide receiver for Washington, Michael Thomas, who, in my opinion, is the best player in the entire trade, and Leonard Fournette, it is a 2QB full PPR, 0.25 points per carry. What did Dynasty Trade Calculator say about it, who won the trade, and your thoughts on it? All right, I have I actually have the Devonte Adams trade uh, up there. I forgot oh. about that trade. Well, well, we'll start with that one, and that's fine with me. Um, so, Mr. Mark Bullman at M Bullham sends me 
Stephon, he gives up Stephon Diggs and the 2019 1.5 to get Devontae Adams. Trade calculator and your thoughts on it. Well, the trade calculator has Adams at a 48.4. Now, this is a 12-team, full PPR, two-quarterback with a .25 per carry. Yeah. Um, so Adams is coming in at a 48.4. Uh, Diggs actually is coming in at a 35.7, and then the 1.5, 1.05 draft pick at 17 points. So there's a slight edge to the Diggs in the pick at 52.7 versus 48.4. Mm-hmm. Um, so on surface, if you're just using the calculator, uh, you, you're going to m- make that trade. However, for me, if I was offered digs and I had Adams uh, offered digs in that pick, uh, I, I wouldn't take it. Uh, I like Adams better than digs substantially. Uh, and even at 105, there's there's quite a, a bit of risk there. Uh, I would need more to trade Adams for myself. So I'm going to hold on to Adams. Now, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, uh, I have Adams. Will you trade me digs uh, in that pick? Uh, I'm going to be smashing except just as fast as I can uh, and trying to get Devontae Adams on my team. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, them making their coaching change and uh, bringing in somebody new, I think it's going to refresh that team and give Rodgers uh, an, an opportunity to uh, grow these last four, five, six years uh, of his career. You know, that's not to say that Diggs is a bad player. He's, he's right. a good player, had a real good season. And I don't know. I think I feel almost like this might have been his ceiling this year. So it doesn't matter. Even if Thielen drops off the face of the earth, I don't know that Diggs is going to get much higher than what he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 I'm inclined to I'm, I'm pretty comfortable uh, being on the Adams side of this deal. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. Uh, Devontae Adams is is one of my favorite players in in the game in general. I think he's a uh, Often very overlooked at the wide receiver position. I've I've looked at a couple ADPs and stuff going on with different sites and everything, and he's still being drafted as like the sixth or seventh wide receiver off the board, which is crazy to me. Um, I've put it out there in multiple formats, whether writing or in the podcast, talking about. I think, in all honesty, he should be right up there at the one one. Uh, at wide receiver 1-1 with DeAndre Hopkins. I think there's a very real discussion to be had for Devontae Adams to be the first or second wide receiver off the board. Um, For me, I do think some of it has to come down to roster context. Now, we don't know what his roster looks like, um, but I, I would agree with you on the fact in keeping Devontae Adams unless... If it was something like last year's draft, and and we still have a lot to shake out um, in what's going to happen with these prospects, if it was something like last year's draft where you had all these running backs coming out and there was a running back that you really liked and you needed a young guy, or even this year where there's a lot of wide receivers, if there's something where you just need some young talent on your team, I don't think it's a bad trade. And Obviously, Dynasty, uh, the Dynasty trade calculator says so, that it, you if you take digs and the um, and the 1.5 that uh, you're getting a good deal for uh, for Adams. It's a fair trade. Um, so I do think we, we have to give that part of it, that it, it's, it all comes down to roster context. If you're needing that pick, if you're trying to get some young talent on your team, it's not a bad trade if you're giving up Devontae Adams. But just know you're giving up one of the best wide receivers. And in my opinion, I agree with you. I don't think Diggs... Um, will ever bring back what Devontae Adams brings your team, but with digs and possibly paired with that pick, it, it could end up being a, a decent trade for you, obviously depending on how you use that pick. Yeah, it's it's hard sometimes when somebody makes you an offer that's fair and you just don't want it. Yeah. 
and and I try to be honest when I'm dealing. Somebody sends me a message and says, "Hey, uh, would uh, you interested in moving Adams?" You know, my response is going to be, "I'm not interested, but what are you thinking?" Mm-hmm. If they send me that, you know, I'm going to look at it. And I'm going to pop it in the calculator and see what it says. Now, I tell them, you know, my, my initial reaction is no. You're probably going to have to overpay. You know, right. I have Zeke in a league. And it's going to probably take – I'm probably going to end up getting a third or fourth round pick for him eventually because I'm not going to let him go. So yeah, I agree. I Adams think Adams is kind of he, – he's at the point in his game right now that it's the same way. You're going to have to overpay to get him from me. Yeah. Now, if the rest of my team falls apart, maybe not. But generally, you're going to have to overpay. I agree with you. I think you have to regardless. I would say even if your team falls apart and uh, you're looking to make a move to get your team back in it or just rebuild altogether, Adams is is one of those guys now that you move and you get that huge package back. I mean, if you're the person with Devontae Adams, in all honesty. I don't know about getting a huge package back, Matt. I'm not that kind of guy. Well, you know, hey, teach their own, man. You know, (laughs) don't judge. It's 2019, man. We're we're in a different world now. (laughs) But, uh, no, I – I think that uh, with him, he's one of those players that you could uh, do that, though. You could move him and get, like I was about to say, uh, I wouldn't even be offended if if I was the one with uh, Stefan Diggs in the 1.5 and offering it to you for Adams, and you came back to me and you're like, dude, I need a 2020 first or another 2019 first if I had one. In all honesty, in my head, I'd be like, well, okay, that's that seems fair to me. Like I was a, a little surprised that uh, the trade calculator had it that close um, for me, maybe that's just, again, because I value Devontae Adams so much that I think you'd have to add um, at least a second round at worst to get that trade completed on my side. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. And even then, I'd, I'd probably not feel good about making the trade. <laughs> right. All right, give me the specs on that other trade. I have Josh Rosen in here. Who else was on that side? All right, so he got Josh Rosen, Rashard Penny, uh, Cortland Sutton, the 2019 first, which is pick 1.8, and then he got a 2019 second pick 2.2. All right, so the trade comes out at 71.8 on the Michael Thomas Leonard Fournette Trey Quinn side, and 73.9 on the Josh Rosen Rashad Penny Cortland Sutton uh, two picks. Okay. Uh, Trey Quinn actually doesn't show up in the calculator, so. You're probably looking at one more point, so make it a 72.8 versus a 73.9, so roughly a one-point difference. So on its face, according to the calculator, this is a very even deal. Right. Um, I don't know. It, well, in two-quarterback, I, I think this is a uh, – I like Josh Rosen. I actually have him in a couple super flex leagues. Um, I'm big on Cortland Sutton. I actually just traded for Rashad Penny. Uh, I'm in a league with a rebuild, and I moved back from the 101 and took Rashad Penny in the 105. Uh-huh. So I, I believe as much as I like Chris Carson, I just think Penny is more talented. So getting that, I think Sutton has the ability to be a, a top 10 wide receiver. I agree with that. And when you add in a first round, a late first and an early second, it's clearly a team that's rebuilding versus a team that's looking to win it all this year. Mm-hmm. And so this trade uh, in that context makes a lot of sense for both teams. Um, Fournette, hopefully Fournette's going to be their RB2 at most, but maybe RB3, mm-hmm. uh, given the uh, tumultuous situation he's got going on in uh, Jacksonville and uh, his injury issues. 
But Michael Thomas is a full-grown man. Yes, he is. And uh, I'd probably put him up there with the Devontae Adams and uh, uh, New Hopkins when it comes to having to overpay to get him from me. I don't disagree with you there. So, so my thoughts on it is, uh, if it were me personally, I would rather have the Michael Thomas side. I'm, I'm always, almost always on the side of I want the best player in the deal coming back to me. If it's something where I'm, I'm rebuilding, which I would imagine that this other team is rebuilding to some sorts, uh, getting the package back that they got. Um, but I would rather have Michael Thomas and Leonard Fournette because they've already proven what they can do. I know Fournette's dealing with the injury issues. Uh, it seems like they have worked out all their issues in Jacksonville from all the reports here lately. And uh, I do think with, obviously, Yeldon, uh, he's gone. He's not coming back. I imagine they're not going to keep hiding, even if they do. Leonard Fournette's going to be the guy next year. The injury issues obviously do worry me as well. Uh, but those two have shown what they can do. And Trey Quinn was a guy coming into last year with a lot of upside, was on the IR earlier this year might be why he's not in the dynasty trade calculator anymore because he was placed on IR and I mean ranked fairly low at the wide receiver position I don't hate the other side I think my biggest problem with it um, is I'm not a fan of Josh Rosen I think he is um, I do not think he's going to be a very good quarterback that was uh, something I wish I would have remembered to touch on um, when we did our quarterbacks and we'll we'll get into it at some point in time this offseason um, but I remember when I did my quarterback rankings for 2018, uh, I did not have jo- I actually had Josh Rosen below Josh Allen. I just do not think Josh Rosen is going to be that good as a pro. And uh, we are we've talked about this many a times, but I am on the opposite bandwagon of you with Rashad Penny as well. I do not think Penny is ever going to be that good of a running back. I think he's very talented. Um, I just don't think he can be that every down guy. Um, I really don't have anything else to say on that. I mean, I don't. I agree with you that I don't think Chris Carson is the guy either. Um, Chris Carson obviously looked great at times this year. I mean, he's going to continue to be a factor there in Seattle with as good as he played. But I just am not a Rashad Penny believer. But I do love Cortland Sutton. I agree with you. I think he has a chance to be a wide receiver one. And then obviously. In all my research that I've been doing for the draft picks and everything this year, uh, I love getting the 1.8 and 2.2 on your team um, because I think there's a lot of really good talent in this draft that you can get with those two picks. Um, so all in all, I think it's uh, what exactly what the trade calculator says. It's a very even trade. Um, I just personally would rather have the Michael Thomas Leonard Fournette side. Right on. All right, so that'll that'll do it for trades, and and we're gonna try and do this every episode as well. Um, we'll put it out there um, a day or I should have put it out there a lot earlier than I did than this morning to try and get some more feedback on it. Um, I'll try and put out uh, something on Sunday for for any of you guys listening. Just look for a post, and then you guys can comment in there. We'd like to talk about more trades because it's gonna get to that point. We're gonna start ramping up here soon, probably after the the Super Bowl and the Combine and everything. You're gonna start seeing a lot of dynasty trades going down. People trying to accumulate picks and everything getting prepared for their rookie drafts if you're trying to rebuild or maybe move uh move picks to get that high-end player to help finish uh maybe win that championship for you this year so that's something we will definitely touch on more moving into the prospects part here um i wanted to start with uh what who you had ranked back in 2018 um i have my top 10 of who i had ranked um i know for sure there is one guy that we disagreed on very we were on opposite ends of the spectrum on and as of right now i'm not going to admit defeat um but you are definitely winning the argument on this player um and that was ronald jones who i had in my top 10 um actually going into the combine and draft season i had him all the way up at four um and all i had i had chubbed down at 10 um i'm glad i ended up moving him up but um 
Obviously, just to point that out, we uh, these rankings that we're about to give you for 2018, and then when we move to the 2019 ones, just remember, guys, this is a. Uh, this is very fluid. We're very early on in the process. Most likely, these rankings are not going to look the same. This is just kind of our very first initial takes on these players and where we think they're going to be. Um, but my final rankings ended up, and I want to get yours here in just a second. Uh, I ended up, or tell me if you disagree with any of those, and we, you can tell me who you had here. Um, I would imagine we both had Barkley at one. Uh, that was a pretty consensus all around the board. I can't think of anybody who did not have Barkley at number one for running backs last year. Um, for me, number two, I had. Darius guys, did you have guys or did you uh, move on to somebody else? No, I kept guys at number okay. two. Yeah, see, I, I did the Good same thing. thing. Uh, I think I think he's going to be awesome next year. It sucks, obviously, he had to get, take that injury um, in the preseason because I think he would have been awesome just seeing what Adrian Peterson, Chris Thompson, all those guys were able to do for the Redskins. I think guys is going to fit right in there. Um, for three, uh, I ended up putting up Nick Chubb at three. Did you have Chubb at three or did you have somebody else? No, I think I had Chubb at five or six. Ooh, okay. uh, I was I'm pretty sure I had Rashad Penny at three. Ah. Or not Rashad Penny, excuse me, Sony Michelle. Oh, three. okay. I got you. Let See, me, uh, trying to find it. Oh, okay, got you. Yeah, I had uh, I had Michelle down at five. Um, my only fear with him was honestly what held me out from keeping Chubb up in my top five uh, to start the season was the injury to his knee. I was worried about it, and then um, you know I'm not a very big Jay Ajayi fan, uh, so when a lot of the reports were coming out about Michelle uh, and his knee being possibly something to what Jay Ajayi had, I kind of dropped him down my ranks some. Um, I had him at five, if that's who you had at three. Um, I ended up putting a the only player I had in between, obviously, Chubb and Michelle was uh, Royce Freeman, who that doesn't look like a great pick as of right now, but I still think there's time to, to work that out. Yeah, I I think I'm uh, looking to become a buyer on Royce. I agree with I, you. I had Royce. I probably had Royce at three. Um, he, I, I still think he's, you know, I'm not the believer in Philip Lindsay that you are. Right. Well, not a lot of people I, are. I think he had a great season, and... Maybe he has a good season this year, but I I think that Freeman is going to take that job and and just be the the better back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't uh, I do not disagree with you on that. Um, and I'll I'll get to Lindsey because I did have him in my top ten, obviously. Uh, so next up, I would imagine we had a big difference here in these next two players. Um, my number six was Naheem Hines. Because um, as you know, we we talked about it actually on the back row show because you are a big Marlon Mack fan. Um, that yeah. I was uh, big on Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins coming in. I thought that they were going to take that backfield away from Marlon Mack. Um, Wilkins didn't really do that, but I felt Hines still had a fairly decent season for where he was. Um, number seven for me was Ronald Jones, and I know that's the guy we had our biggest differences on. I was uh, very much in love with Rojo to begin the process, and then in all honesty, listening to guys like you and other people talk about him, I did move him down, obviously, to seven. Um, like I said, I'm not going to admit defeat on Jones just yet because I still think he has a chance to be a decent back. Um, I've, I've com- not, I don't want to say compare because I hate player comparisons in all honesty, um, but I think that his running style is very much like Melvin Gordon. I think the difference is he doesn't have uh, the up the up the middle uh, running ability. I guess would be the way to put it. I don't think he's really going to run people over, but he's very good at bouncing runs to the outside, like Melvin Gordon is. I um, mean, he's obviously not going to do the same in the receiving game as Melvin Gordon. Did you even have Ronald Jones in your top ten? I know you were someone that did not believe in him at all. I think I reluctantly had him around nine. Mm. I, I I think it was one of those rankings where I said, you know, there's enough people that are in on him. Uh-huh. But 
he probably deserves to be up there, and so I'm gonna put him there. Um, so I, I I believe I had him around nine or ten. Gotcha. Yeah. See, like I said, I had him all the way up. I know I had him up at four to start the season. Um, like when everything first started coming forward, the combine even came out. I remember I had it was. Barkley, Geis, Michelle, Jones, because I, I was just in love with Jones. I, I feel like he had that home run ability. Um, and then listening to other people, I did kind of move him down my ranks a little bit. Um, so at number eight, I had Carry On Johnson. Nine is where I had Rashad Penny. And again, we've we've talked about this multiple times. I just I just don't believe in him. I know you do, and and that's all right. That's exactly why I like bringing different people on the podcast because I'm not always going to be right. You may, you, well, well, I don't know if you agree with me that you won't always be right, but uh, we're always going to, people are going to have different points of views. One of us is going to be correct in the long run. It's it's best to get different people's opinions on players. Um, and then who we were just talking about, Philip Lindsay is who I had as my number 10 um, on my prospect rankings. And going into what you talked about with him, I do actually agree with you. As much as I love Philip Lindsay, I don't expect him to have a year like he had this year. It was a magical year. He looked amazing. But he did kind of tail off there towards the end. And, and in all honesty, as, as much as I was in on Philip Lindsay, I did not think he was going to do what he did this year. I was very big on him uh, doing more in the receiving game while Royce Freeman handled most of the carries. And I do agree with you. I think that is going to start coming to fruition as early as next year. I do think Royce Freeman is going to start getting some run. And we'll see Philip Lindsay not necessarily take a back seat. But I could see them being very much like a uh, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman thing just uh, in my opinion, Philip Lindsay being more explosive than Tevin Coleman, but I do I do kind of see them splitting the backfield like that. Obviously, a lot of that will depend on what uh, what they do with the offense. We're not going to know exactly what that's going to look like here until we find out for sure if Case Keenum is going to be their quarterback if they end up taking somebody in the draft. So that's stuff that we'll have to watch out for. But I agree with you one hundred percent. Royce Freeman is a buy. So that was kind of our little take on on what we did in twenty eighteen. Um, Again, uh, right now, early guys, don't don't read too much into this. If I well, my one possibly will change because I have a very good feeling that my number one running back for 2019 is going to be very different than yours. Um, but it'll change throughout the process. We'll let you guys know for sure when we have our final rankings up for you guys to look at. But I want you to kick it off. Who is your number one running back as of right now for the running backs in 2019? At this stage of the game, I I honestly don't have them ranked. I have them tiered. Okay. Well, give me your your number top tiered player. There's too many uh, variables still with uh, landing spot and and stuff that that can cause a player to move one or two spots. Right, right. So I have three players in my first tier. I have Josh Jacobs, uh, David Montgomery, and Rodney Anderson in the first tier. All right. Well – then I'm just going to jump right in and go say that I agree with you. Um, actually, um, I, I do mind rankings. I, I do the, I guess the easiest way to explain it um, is I do rankings slash tiers at the same time. Um, I rank who I think are going to be the best three, and and all honesty, that is my tier one as well. Um, and then I end it right there and say these next guys are my tier two, and then rank who I think are the best in tier two. Um, my number one was Rodney Anderson. My number two was David Montgomery. My number three was Josh Jacobs, and I agree with you. That's the end of my tier one. Um, there's one player that I think could jump up in that tier one who's very right at the tip of my top running back in tier two, but we'll get into those in just a minute. Um 
for me, uh, I know a lot of people are going to question Rodney Anderson and his health issues. He's obviously had two serious knee injuries while being in college. Um, my rebuttal to that would be the fact that uh, how good he was last year in his sophomore year. Um, and not just in the running game, but the receiving game. We didn't get to see that that much this year, even with him on the field when he was healthy for those two games. I, I talked about on a podcast here recently that I thought a lot of that had to do with Kyler Murray. Um, he was going to be running the ball, not necessarily dumping it off like Baker Mayfield did. Uh, do, do his knee injuries worry you going into the next level, or do you think he's going to be good to go? How, how much do you factor that into your decision in putting him up there in your top tier? Well, I, I think you, you can't just ignore the injury issues. Right. So there there is a lot of concern. Uh, he wouldn't be the first running back to show a, a, an immense amount of talent and then just not be able to stay healthy. So for me, I think I'm, at, this, at this stage, I'm basing it on pure talent. Mm-hmm. And so he's one of the, he's one of the three most talented players, uh, in this draft. Oh, I agree. 100%. So for me, I, I'm going to sit here and say, you know, do I, do I want them? Do I want the safest player or do I want the most talented player? Right. And if I'm picking in the first three picks, uh, I, I want the most talented player. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. I'm... That? I mean, he had 17 receptions last year, uh, rush for 1,161 yards in 13 games. Yeah. So he can't catch the ball some. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I think a lot of people are overlooking that fact, um, talking about how well, he really didn't do anything in two games this year. Well, it was two games. People like I see a lot of people knocking him for that. Um, and I do, again, like I just talked about, I think a lot of that has to do with Kyler Murray as well. When Kyler Murray was in trouble, he took off. He wasn't looking to dump it down. Baker Mayfield's a completely different quarterback. If Baker Mayfield gets in trouble, he's going to dump it off. I thought that he showed great hands um, his sophomore year in rushing ability. Um, and I'm right there with you. I think I honestly don't think he's going to go in the top three of most drafts. I imagine he might not even go in the top three of running back in this draft with a, a lot of the players that other people are very high on at the running back position. And that's another reason why I love him so much because I think – I love David Montgomery, but uh, he just doesn't have that burst. He's he's a grinder. He's someone who's going to get you, you know, if you need four yards, he's going to get you like 4.5 yards, and he's going to kick the crap out of multiple defenders on his way to that 4.5 yards. He's been awesome. Um, yeah, so with that, though, David Montgomery, I think that's my one fear with him. He's shown he can catch the ball. He's, he's all-around good running back. He just doesn't have that home run burst. Josh Jacobs. What worries me about him is we just haven't seen it enough. He's very explosive. He's quickly jumped up to the 1-1 on everybody's charts in the entire draft, not just at the running back position, which worries me a little bit. I do think he's a very good player. Um, But I want to see what he does here um, at the combine and kind of at his pro days. And just I need to look at more tape on him because I just didn't see enough out of him this year uh, to, at least in my opinion, put him up there to be the best running back in this class. Because I've seen it from Rodney Anderson, and, and I do believe that he's the best. He's got that home run speed he can catch the ball he he's very elusive and he can run you over in the same breath and that's what I love about him and again like I said the value you can get for him a lot of people right now have him ranked you know some I see a lot of sites have him ranked as the 10th best running back in this draft and I just completely disagree with that so he's someone you can likely get at the end of the first or second round if I'm someone who say won a championship this year and have pick 1.12 and Rodney Anderson falls to me I'm, I'm going to be the happiest guy in the world to be able to take him is my first round pick in a rookie draft. So who? Yeah, he uh, with with uh, Jacobs. I, he's sort of the total package mm-hmm. where 
Anderson kind of flashed it a little bit. Jacobs, because he played such a limited amount of time, uh, and had to, and I get the whole, well, he was never the stud. Well, it was Alabama, and they run four or five running backs that were, you know, if you were to split them up on five different teams, all of them are going to be the starter. Right, right. So he's back there. He's 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 doing what he needs to do, and he shows a lot of versatility, a lot of power. So with with Jacobs, it's kind of like Anderson. Am I drafting the safest player, or am I drafting the most talented player? Right. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. And I don't I don't think that there's anything wrong necessarily with Jacobs' game. I just worry a little bit like a – I guess the easiest way to put it, I've seen a lot of people out there saying, oh, well, he's he's the next Alvin Kamara. Uh, he didn't – you know, Alvin Kamara, for those of you who don't know, he, he didn't even start at Tennessee. He was not – nobody even thought this – nobody – I wouldn't say didn't think he'd be good at the next level, but a lot of people were hesitant because they didn't get to see it enough at Tennessee. Um, and a lot of people are saying that same thing about Jacobs with what he does and the way he plays, that he's the next Alvin Kamara – we didn't get to see a lot of it, but he looked explosive in limited plays. And that's my only fear is that it has been limited plays. I understand, um, you know, obviously he was sitting behind guys like Damien Harris uh, and Derek Kent. Well, I don't think Derek Henry was there when he was there, but Alabama has always had multiple good running backs and he's had to sit behind them and he's only gotten a flash in his little bit of time. Um, and that's just where, what worries me a little bit is so many people comparing him to Alvin Kamara and someone reads that and like, oh, hey, next Alvin Kamara, he's going to be my 1-1. I just let, I, I always tell people, let's hold off a little bit. Let's see what happens. But I do agree with you that he is um, an explosive talent and, and definitely deserves to be up in that top tier. I'm just not sure. Me personally, I would have, I, at least right now, have him behind Montgomery and Anderson um, just because I, I need to see more of him. So for your tier two, who is uh, do you have? how many players do you have in your tier two and uh, who who's in your tier two? I, I have two in tier two. Okay. Uh, I have Miles Sanders and Damian Harris in tier two. Oh, God. Man, I, buddy, I want to say I love you because uh, Miles Sanders, man, I don't understand why this kid is not getting enough love. I can, I just do not understand it. So, Miles Sanders is my number four, and I have him tied right there with Elijah Holyfield, who I'm very big on as well. Um, but my tier two, I have four players. Um, it's Miles Sanders, Elijah Holyfield, Daryl Henderson. And I have uh, Devin Singletary. Sorry, I was trying to read my notes here, and I have very horrible handwriting. Uh, Devin Singletary out of FAU. Um, I like Harris, who I know you just said you have in your Tier 2, and uh, I want to see what you think about my guys real quick. Uh, I just Harris worries me a little bit um, in being that typical Alabama back. Um, I don't think uh, – I think he's more Mark Ingram than Derrick Henry, which you may think, okay, well, what's wrong with that? Mark Ingram's been the better back than Derrick Henry. Um, the difference is I don't think he's as good as Mark Ingram is. I'm not sure he completely translates uh, to the NFL level the way that Mark Ingram did. Uh, I actually have Damian Harris as my number eight running back and right there at the top of my tier three. Uh, what do you think about the guys I have in tier two? Obviously, you don't have Holyfield and uh, Singletary in there. Do you have issues? with them or are they possibly down in tier three yeah they are in tier three okay um well holyfield's not but oh okay. singletary and henderson are um I, I i just felt like there was enough explosion enough there was there was it i could easily combine tier two and tier three into one tier right but i just sort of used a just tried to split them up a little bit mm-hmm. i think harris brings um a good amount of experience and productivity. Uh, he's shown the ability to catch the ball. 
Sanders is one of those guys where you sit and go, well, he didn't he didn't give you an awful lot his first couple years, uh, but he was also sitting behind Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Uh, it's like the uh, uh, one of the late round guys I've been looking at uh, that I don't know if he'll get a shot or not, but Quadri Allison of Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. You know, you you look at him and and he had one great year and then two years where he literally didn't do anything, mm-hmm. and then another great year. And what I didn't realize until I looked a little deeper was that first year was when uh, James Connor had cancer, and then Connor came back and ran the show, gotcha. and then. Uh, Olison, when he got the job back, performed again. And so Sanders is kind of there. He's stuck. He had, what? what's that, uh, 56 attempts in his first two years playing behind Barkley. Yeah. Uh, I, I can see that. I'm probably not going to take Saquon Barkley off the field. No, I mean, uh, I, I, mean I, I would say they're pretty comparable. I don't know what you're talking about. Saquon Barkley, he's not only po- possibly the most transcendent player that we've seen at running back in a while. But, yeah, go ahead. No, t- tell me. Tell me about Sanders. Well, I mean – 24 catches for 139 yards. That's that's good numbers. Right. Uh, 220 carries for 1,274 yards when he got the shot. Could he have improved his stock some if he went back for a senior year? Probably. Um, but it, coming in at 5'11", 215, uh, you know, he's going to have an opportunity, I think, to prove himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to have – somebody's going to spend probably round three, maybe round four capital on him and – uh, he'll have a chance to come in and uh, show what he can do. You know, running backs, unfortunately, unless you're transcendent, you're not going to go uh, in the first round. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I agree think with Sanders you. Sanders got a real good shot. Yeah, I think I think uh, Sanders actually has a shot to go in the second round this year. I was talking with uh, I can't remember who it was on Twitter. It's someone we both follow, um, but he was asking about that. I think it was Sanders and somebody else, uh, Harris actually, Sanders and Harris, who you yeah. have in your your tier two, where uh, we thought they would go, and I think that uh, both have a shot to go in round two or three of the NFL draft this year. Um, the only guys I would think could go in the first round would be both the three that we both talked about. And, and in all honesty, again, I don't think Anderson will actually do that. Um, I think Anderson will be someone who goes in two or three as well. I think it's going to be Josh Jacobs and, and David Montgomery are going to be the two uh, that have the first-round grades on them or possibly go in the first round. Um, for me, I agree with I would everything. not be surprised that uh, no running backs get drafted in the first round this year. Really? Okay. That'll, yeah. that'll be something we can uh, – when we start doing our uh, our – division by division breakdowns and everything once we get through that and start really focusing on the draft we can hone in on because I think at least one's going to go but uh it is going to be interesting because I think this uh this class is obviously very loaded defensively and at wide receiver um and I, I think that's kind of the issue with this running back class in all honesty it's been driving me a little bit crazy um someone I know we both uh uh, go back and forth with on Twitter. Talk to uh, Andrew Harbaugh. Uh, he does a lot of good stuff with the DHH uh, group. Uh, we were talking about the fact that I think this this running back class has just been widely overlooked. It doesn't have um, the elite elite players like I, like we both I think agree that there's three guys that I could see being elite talents or are the best of this class but this class has a lot of depth in it and with the way that the NFL has been turning around and using more into an obviously an offensive league and the way that these running backs have been used and how most teams now are using two back sets some have three backs like the Patriots there's going to be a lot of these guys in this class that are going to be fantasy relevant going forward 
and I think a lot of people are overlooking that. I mean, there's easily just looking at my list. I've got 24 running backs that I would take um, that I think could be fantasy relevant as early as next year or, or 2020. Uh, 2020. Um, so I think that really needs to be looked into. Uh, of course, a lot of people talking about the wide receiver class, though. Um so uh, my thing with Miles Sanders, the only thing I worry about with him is obviously a lot like uh, Josh Jacobs, though, very limited role, and that is because, as you talked about, he was sitting behind Saquon Barkley all this time, but I did think he flashed in his one year um, being the starter. I think the only reason he really came out is just because of how loaded it looks like next year's class is going to be. It makes more sense. It made more sense for him to come out this year because he has the better shot of being a high-end draft pick. All right, so... Those are both of our, our tier two running backs. Um, who do you have at the in your tier three uh, for running back? Uh, I have Singletary and Henderson. Okay. Um, and then I have Bryce Love. Bryce Love. I love me some Bryce Love. I think he's getting uh, extremely overlooked. So before I get into why you hate Elijah Holyfield, because uh, he's obviously not in your top three tiers, um, my my tier three, um, I have Travion Williams out of Texas A&M. I have Justice Hill, Benny Snell, Miles Gaskins, and Bryce Love, and Mike Weber. Uh, my, my tier three, obviously much bigger than yours. It was hard for me to kind of separate some of these guys um, because I think all of these guys right here could be very good. I do think Mike Weber, Hill, um, and Williams, Trayvon Williams, all have uh, are look to to be more kind of satellite backs or kind of like the James White role for the Patriots. I guess would be the best way to put. It. I don't think they could be every down backs. Where I do think uh, Bryce Love could be. Um, I think that obviously his injury in the bowl game is probably going to shoot his stock down. I um, mean, he's someone just like Rodney Anderson, who you might be able to grab late, possibly even now in some rookie rookie mocks that I've seen in. In the second round, which I think is crazy, uh, someone who was a Heisman hopeful and everything just a year ago, uh, coming in this year, he was highly touted. Um, what uh, what about who's your favorite out of that group right there, and who do you think uh, has has the best uh, ability to shine at the next level? Well, I'm still learning about Singletary and Henderson. Okay, um, they both have shown a lot of good things. You know, Love, I, I like his ability. He he can catch the ball. Uh, I think he's going to be a little bit bigger than people expect. Mm-hmm. I think he uh, started, he, he typically is seen as like one of these 5'10, 190 guys, um, which is, mm-hmm. I think, why I have Justice Hill down further is in part because of where he comes in on the spectrum. I, yeah, I he's, feel like he's a little Love smaller. has the ability to be as. One. So. You know, Justice Hill comes in a little bit small, and so I think he's going to fall into that uh, satellite back where Love has a little more meat on his bones right. and, and can hold up a little better. You know, I think I could probably, you know, Singletary, Love, what's Henderson's size? Uh, he's you know, they actually... all come, they're all coming in around the 5'10", 200-pound mark, I think. Yeah. And Hen- so it doesn't take, if I remember correctly, I think uh, – Emmett Smith was five nine and two oh three or something like mm-hmm. that or two oh eight. And so if these guys pack on another five to eight pounds, then they're gonna be the same size as Emmett. And so they'll be able to you know, are they gonna be able to carry the ball four hundred times, three hundred times? No, but most offenses don't require that anymore. And so if you're getting two hundred and fifty carries and forty targets or something like that, two hundred and twenty carries and fifty targets 
you know, that's going to put you in the RB1 status. Mm -hmm. And so these guys could all end up being steals at the, in the, the late first, uh, early second. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so Daryl Henderson, he is a uh, five nine two hundred. So we'll see if uh, if that changes at all through the process. Obviously, he could uh, obviously not gonna. I would imagine come in taller than that, but he could add a, add on some weight. Uh, he's got good speed. I like the way that he runs the ball. Um, real quick before we close out the podcast, I want to get uh, why you uh, hate Elijah Holyfield because I obviously have him very uh, very highly ranked, and you don't even have him in your top three uh, three tiers. What is uh, what's your thoughts on Elijah Holyfield? Well, I kind of have him. I could probably combine my three guys that just missed with my fourth tier. I have Weber and Ozigbo in tier four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ozigbo might be just a function of the hype. I, you know, watching Ohio State play uh, Nebraska every year. It's uh, I, I've gotten a chance to watch him uh, fairly regularly, and, and uh, you know he looks good playing the game. And so uh, you know Weber, I'm a big fan. I think Weber, well, he might end up being a satellite back. I think at 215 pounds, I think he's a guy that can carry the load. Yeah. So the, I think running backs are starting to swing a little bit more to the smaller side again uh, as teams are starting to spread out. They're running more sophisticated offenses, and they need to get in space even in the run game. And so I think that starts to bode well for some of these running backs in the, the 200 to 215-pound range. You know, not every – Barkley is a unicorn. Those 230-pound guys that can move like that. So when you can't find those, then you have to figure out what else is working. And right now for most teams, it's the 60-40, 50-50 splits with the guys that weigh 200, 205, 210 pounds. But if I was to add the guys into my – combine those, the almost uh, made it with my fourth tier, that would – move up Elijah Holyfield yeah. and Travion Williams and Bruce Anderson. So that would put five people in that tier. You know, it isn't, I, you know, I don't know that I dislike Holyfield. Uh-huh. I, Holyfield kind of, you know, there's something that I guess there's going to be, it's the opposite of the Pat Mahomes effect. You know, Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, dad, Pat seems like uh, a pretty decent fella uh-huh. that, Worked really hard to make sure his kid uh, had his head on straight. Uh, Evander Holyfield was uh, right somewhat now. of a train wreck off the field, and <laughs> well, I I feel like that that there's just there's something that's just not going to click with Elijah Holyfield, and it's not going to allow him to translate. It's completely un there. It there's no basis in fact for that. Gotcha. I haven't dug into a lot of tape. You know, he he. He looks like he can play the game okay, but can he take it to the next level? I don't have to. I'll have to evaluate more leading up. You know, he didn't carry the ball a lot his first two years. He's had actually only 215 carries in three seasons. Mm -hmm. So, well, seven receptions. He's not going to. You know, if if he, I think top end, he's looking at a small as a small Jordan Howard. Yeah, see, I I don't disagree with you there. I think uh, a lot of his. You could also say the same thing about him that we said about Josh Jacobs earlier in the fact that uh, being at Georgia, he has sat behind a lot of very good running backs. And, and Swift, who will come out next year, is going to be in the discussion as one of the top three picks in the draft overall, not just at the running back position. So he, he is kind of stuck, necess- not necessarily stuck behind a really good player, but he does have to compete 
with a really good player in uh, in Swift. Um, and I don't disagree with you on a lot of those other players. Uh, I do agree with you on Mike Weber, um, the Ohio State guy, trying to keep my Ohio State bias out of it as much as possible. Um, but I do think he could be an every down back. Um, I just I kind of need to see what he does throughout this process a little bit um, because I, I do worry a little bit on how much he was kind of – Push to the side with J.K. Dobbins coming in there, who I think is a phenomenal running back as well. I think he deserves to be in the discussion as one of the top picks in next year's draft as well, as I would assume he'd come out next year. Um, but I, I, that does worry me a little bit with how easily he was kind of pushed to the side. I know they, they seem to split drives for the most part throughout Ohio State season. Weber would get a full series, and then Dobbins would come in. But then in the key games, uh, Weber really started getting pushed aside, um, and Dobbins was really kind of taken over there. So that, that worries me a little bit, and I need to dive more into his tape before I can move him up anymore. But I already have him in my Tier 3, so I, I do have a lot of um, respect and, and, and admiration for what Weber did, and I am excited about him moving forward. All right, so that is uh, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for, for jumping on with me again, Dennis, on Thursday. We will be back on Monday. Um, obviously, no game to preview or anything this weekend, so nothing talking there. Uh, real quick, I'll ask you about the Senior Bowl, um, if you have any thoughts on it. I think for me, uh, you got to watch Tyree Jackson, Daniel Jones, um, Greer, uh, and, and Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State has been making a lot of noise there. Um, he's a guy who uh, I have in my top 10 wide receivers. I think um, I've talked about a little bit on Twitter today. I think the Ohio State wide receivers have not really been getting a fair amount of pub due to the uh, system that Ohio State's run here the past couple years. Uh, their wide receivers haven't been asked to do much, and they haven't been able to showcase their skills. I think uh, people are going to be in for a rude awakening when it comes to him, Paris Campbell, and and. Kenny Hill Jr. here on what they're going to be able to do. But those are the guys that I would watch. Debo Samuel as well. Um, Andy Isabella has been getting a lot of run uh, as well. And there's another guy here that I'll look up here while you're, uh, if you have anybody you want to talk about, uh, senior bowl wise, that you want to watch this weekend. Now, for me, I've mostly been, uh, I've been trying to look at the offensive and defensive linemen just to see, uh, mostly for educational purposes for myself so I can start to, work on being a better scout and mm-hmm. uh you know i i see the highlights of mclaurin and samuel and and uh those guys making plays probably i i haven't had a lot of time to to watch any of the uh tape from the practices uh-huh. so it'll be interesting to see you know i've heard locks made some nice throws yeah. jones has made a couple bummer throws and uh that um oh who was it some is something escaped me. My point escaped me, but oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll watch the game on Saturday. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, record it and maybe watch it later. You know, the the best part of the Senior Bowl is ending today. Yeah. So you know, Saturday isn't going to really give us a whole lot of information. Oh, I remember it was somebody talking about. I think maybe Andy Singleton was mentioning that uh, he saw that uh, Isabella has a tendency to trap the ball on his chest a lot. Not yeah. hand, he's not a hand sketcher. Yeah, I saw that and, too. Uh, so, so that becomes a little bit concerning. Um, it doesn't matter how fast you are if uh, right. you, you can't catch the ball. And guys that catch like that, I don't know that they necessarily translate to the NFL very well. Right. Yeah, that's – that's but, a, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see as we, we get closer to the draft. It's – you know, when you don't have a lot of really – when you don't have a lot of Saquon Barkley's uh, in the mix, yeah, I remember a few years ago when we had the big wide receiver class of uh, 
Boyd, Treadwell, and <laughs> uh, Dotson. And it was like, every, you know, we had one running back, which was Zeke. And it was like, oh, it's the best wide receiver class. And, uh, you know, they haven't necessarily lived up to it. Yeah. You know, this year it's going to be all about the wide receivers. and uh, But I think there's going to be, the, you know, the value is going to come late in the first and in the second round. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I think Tyler Boyd's the only one who's really uh, shown anything out of that class. Uh, I th- I do think the wide receivers are going to highlight this class, obviously. Um, and I do think that the – I think you could say the same thing about the wide receiver class that you uh, can say about the running backs. And I don't think there's – there's a I have four guys that I think could be elite at the wide receiver position. But then again, I think a lot of these guys come in the Tier 2, Tier 3, um, which could be you know high-end wide receiver twos um, in fantasy. And uh, I think this class is very deep, just like the running back thing. Uh, running back class. Um, the guy that I was thinking about was uh, Penny Hart. He has been getting a lot of talk in uh, his speed um, and the way he's been able to kind of put defenders on skates. Going up, He was going up against a lot of the best defenders uh, or the people, the defenders that a lot of people think will be the best defenders in this class. And he was kind of putting them as a quote unquote on skates here at the practices. And I agree with you today. Today was the end of pretty much everything that mattered for the senior bowl because the practices is kind of where we get a lot of our best knowledge and everything from Uh, the game is not going to mean as much. Um, you know, for instance, Daniel Jones was someone coming into this, the, the quarterback out of Duke, who a lot of people were very high on, and he's kind of dropped his stock some with how bad he's looked at some of these practices. That's kind of been the point that matters, and, and obviously the game will mean something, but not much, um, and everything kind of coming after this is going to be really big. Uh, but so... We'll uh, obviously watch that game if you guys have time or catch the highlights, look into that because it's always fun, as you said, to kind of watch it just to, to better learn the game and see these guys coming into the NFL um, and, and learn how to kind of understand understand the college game and everything. If you don't watch a lot of college game, watch these guys play in the Senior Bowl. It's a lot of fun. Um, we will obviously talk uh, some about that game on Monday when we come back to the podcast. Uh, if there's anything really big coming out of that, we'll talk any news and then uh, – we will break down the wide receiver position, um, and I haven't decided just yet. We might start breaking into our uh, our division breakdowns. I kind of want to see if we get any more news. Uh, my, my only fear in breaking down the divisions this early is we might get a couple coaching. Uh, there's some coaching staffs that haven't been fully fledged out yet, and I don't want to miss talking about uh, talking about that when we break down the division. So once once Monday gets here, we'll let you know. Obviously, at the beginning of the podcast if we're going to do that or not. Uh, but definitely, if you guys are here for the prospect talk which we are right now uh tune in on monday because we will start talking about our we're actually going to go top 12 wide receivers because i think this class is so deep uh so guys thank you so much for listening dennis thank you so much for jumping on with me again today i hope you have yourself a good weekend and i'll talk to you again on monday buddy all right have a great weekend rock on thank you sir all right, so yeah, I just want to say one more time, thank you so much to Dennis for jumping on the podcast today uh, and talking running back prospects with me. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a lot of fun doing this the rest of the off season. Like I said, we'll we'll talk a little bit more on the divisions um, and everything when we get to that point. I did kind of want to wait till the Super Bowl ended and then we will break down every division uh, every once once a week or at, we'll have the two episodes a week. So. Monday episode will break down a division. Thursday episode will break down another division. But I kind of wanted to wait until the the coaching changes have been fully fleshed out so that we can really give you guys our best views on them, how they ended, and where we think they're going to go forward. And then obviously we'll continue talking prospects. So guys, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you guys have yourselves a great weekend. If you have time, leave a rate and review on the podcast on iTunes again. That will enter you into the contest. We will be doing another drawing of two people uh, to win a free swag from five 
500 level or maybe some fantasy roundtable shirts, whichever you guys want. I'll get in contact with you with you once you win uh, but that'll put you guys in no matter what as soon as you guys do that you automatically get entered in and you won't get pulled out of the pool uh, until you win something so please if you guys have time give us a rate and review on itunes um and until we talk again on monday guys peace prepare for glory i don't know if you got your popcorn ready do you got your popcorn ready i came out the wrong line ready and he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Only they tackle him at the 40-yard line. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? <laughs> <laughs>